Alright, hey guys, it's Josh. And I'm Mike. And we are Purge the Alien, bringing you battle reports, podcasts, and articles by gamers for gamers. Again, you can find us on our Facebook at Purge the Alien, on YouTube at Purge the Alien, <laughs> and Instagram and Twitter, and of course, at Purge the Alien also. Guess what our website is? I think it's Purge the Alien, isn't it? PurgeTheAlien.com. Alright. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so today, uh, you know, we have a couple different things on the agenda. We'll be joined by Chris here in a little bit, another member of our PTA crew, uh, talk about the open war cards. Um, also, we're going to do some hobby talks, PTA update, and uh, get into the main topic of hobby products as yeah. well. Super excited to talk <laughs> about the open war cards later. I think they're going to add a lot of dynamic play to later in some of the games. Uh, but first thing, Josh, what's on your table right now? What's on my table? A uh, bunch of different things, right? Um, Man, what is on my table? I guess some prep that I've been doing for Golden Rhino, okay. my army, yeah. So essentially, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are preparing for the Golden Rhino tournament. I know Sean has been cranking through a bunch of stuff. Um, I've been doing some some furious painting. Still don't know if I'll get done in time, but <laughs> uh, yeah, doing a lot of painting, painting up some Bulgrins since they're good this edition, painting up, um, you know, just odds and ends, right? Things that I haven't gotten to that. It's nice little touches. Tournament, right? Correct. Yeah, so for those that don't know, the Golden Rhino is a tournament that is right here um, in Michigan. It's in Highland, Michigan. It's actually going to be on July 24th, so by the time you hear this podcast, it's probably already happened by that yep. point in time. Um, it's a very different tournament than a lot of the tournaments that you hear about because it actually takes place during the week. Yeah, it's on Tuesday, right? So it's yeah. kind of cool because, you know, if you can swing the day off, you're mm -hmm. not sacrificing your weekend to get some gaming in. Um, I know a lot of people, when we first kind of announced the Golden Rhino, were a little hesitant about being it during a Tuesday, but we actually sold out. I think we have, what, 40 people coming? 40 people coming. Um, it's something that Ian actually uh, has put on for a couple years now um, and has been running it really well, yeah. I'd say. So look forward, you know, what we're going to probably have next week, um, we're going to be doing some live streaming at the Golden Rhino. We're also going to be recording some bat reps there as well. Sure. Um, so you're going to kind of see some of the top tables in action from there as well, probably by the time this podcast drops. Yeah, and actually Chris uh, with us today is going to do a lot of the, the recording too. So see him there and uh, as well as a couple other of the uh, PTA crew. Perfect. Doing some interviews and stuff, so it'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. So everyone that's out there that's been prepping for Golden Rhino, best of luck. You know, like I said, by this time you've already either won or lost or placed somewhere in the middle. And uh, hopefully we might even have the winner on here in the podcast soon to kind of talk about their list and how everything's been going. Definitely, definitely. Look for some uh, interviews, right? We're going to be filming the top table three times, essentially. So we're going to um, have three bat reps coming from the Golden Rhino. And as well as some interviews, right, with the individual who probably won, as well as, you know, just some random interviews here and there with sponsors as well. Yeah. Good look kind of into the Michigan and some of the Midwest meta to see what's going on with the tournament. Exactly. Okay. Cool. One of the big things, though, that we got a couple comments on is, uh, you know, one of the last battle reports that we put up was our Age of Sigmar battle report. Yep. And we've gotten a lot of good things that sort of here at our PTA studio. We have a lot of amazing 40K terrain. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we noticed in our comments is that we've been repeating our Age of Sigmar terrain quite a bit. And that's because, frankly put, we, we just don't have a lot of it right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, one of the weird aspects is that Age of Sigmar terrain transfers over extremely well into 40k terrain with like hills and mountains and forests. Yeah. But Vice it versa isn't true. <laughs> yeah. So we're looking at building some Age of Sigmar terrain. So Josh kind of talked about what's coming up on the docket, what we're thinking about getting done. Yeah, yeah. So I know, um, you know, We've been looking to pick up more Age of Sigmar terrain, so I know Chris recommended getting the uh, 
what was it called? The, the mausoleum. I mausoleum. Think. Yeah, yeah. So picking up the mausoleum, um, really great set. Has a ton of different pieces, right? A ton of different little buildings that you can kind of disperse and reconfigure here and there. And then obviously uh, we have a couple of like citadels that we're building. Yep. Um, maybe a couple more forests in there. You know, just a lot of various different you know fantasy based terrain that we're looking to pick up and, and build out for us. And this is one of those things on the previous podcast we kind of ended it by talking about terrain and how it really makes the table yeah. flex on the Definitely. tactics. Um, frankly, just really helps you immerse yourself in the game when you have a beautiful table full of terrain. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know we talked a little bit last time about the scratch built terrain, mm -hmm. but for Seems like Age of Sigmar, especially that styrene, is that what you call it? Uh, last yeah, time? styrene. Yeah. The styrene seems to be a great option to be able to look at Age of Sigmar terrain, particularly. So, like, what are some ideas that we could do to like make our own terrain? So, you know, not everyone's dropping, you know, the eighty hundred dollars on like a GM mausoleum set. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a lot of good tutorials about how to make like rivers and uh, lakes and stuff like that. I mean, just just a ton of stuff, right? You can make your own forests. Um, there's a lot more, I guess, tutorials probably around how to make that stuff because a lot of things like model railroading, for example, yeah. you can lose a use a lot of the tips and tricks from that and convert it over to AOS terrain. Yes. Right. Um, whereas with 40k, you don't necessarily have that type of cross conversion. Right. You're doing a lot more sci-fi sci-fi based. Mm -hmm. You need to kind of look more into that aspect to to make some of that. And that's like a really good thing Josh pointed up too is, you know, he brought in kind of like the model trains, you know, don't let, you know, just because something's from another hobby prevent you from using it in your gaming. Yeah. Um, a lot of times some of the other hobbies, especially with like trains, they've got some really good flocking. They've got really good like yeah. fake trees and forests that you can use, um, especially other miniature games and some stuff. And a lot exactly. of time, you know, they can be on the less expensive range. You can pick some of that stuff up at like Michael's. Yeah. For cheap. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the one thing to keep in mind with that, though, is that, you know, for the, the railroading and stuff like that, it's not meant to be handled. Right? Correct. A lot of that is you start touching it, the, the flock comes off, whatever comes off. So you just got to make sure that it's it's not necessarily, it's it's made sturdy enough so that when you handle it, you're not going to, like, break the tree. Yeah, probably not one that you're going to be transporting with you amongst yep. your gaming group back and mm -hmm. forth. But, you know, if you've got a good table and a place like store terrain that you can't, that you don't just need to throw stuff in, exactly. it'll work really well for that. And we're going to have some more kind of like pictures on our Instagram and Facebook page and website too about kind of how we're going to scratch build some terrain. Because yep. um, we want to make sure that people have some options and don't feel like they're just trapped into buying some of the pre-made stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And the other cool part too is there's a lot of really good places out there that make the scratch build terrain. Um, Frontline Gaming routinely has regular sales that are pretty amazing yep. for full sets of terrain. So you can get an entire board that looks like a... Well, they had like Necron pillars the other day. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not Necron. Pillars, yeah, it's my right? bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third party name <laughs> pillars. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. But they do a lot of cool stuff with that. And one of the options that Frontline Gaming has as well is you can get the options for the terrain to come painted or not painted. You know, the yeah, paint is going to awesome. cost a little extra. Mm -hmm. But you know, either way, it can fit in your budget. And yep. then you know, if you want, you can also always commission somebody to paint up pieces of terrain. If you want something that you really like that's gorgeous and you yep. don't think it's going to meet your skill level, it's an amazing thing to get commissioned to, to have done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is getting that thematic terrain down. Right? Yes. Um, so, for example, in some of our AOS games, right, we have maybe some rocks in there that don't necessarily fit the board or whatever it is, yep. right? So just trying to make sure it stays thematic. and You know, then it, it provides a good scene for in Battlefield for your army plan. For sure. So, Cool. And one of the things that's awesome too about like when you start scratch building your terrain and you start feeling a little more comfortable with it, mm -hmm. it really goes and segues pretty well into building your own display boards. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the one thing I have actually thought about doing in the past, and, and probably what I'll do in the future, is making it so that the display board is, is almost modular. Okay. Right? So you build in the base of your terrain to fit in your display board, and then you can take it off, put it on the table too. Oh, that that's way you don't really have idea. you don't have your 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 display board versus your your terrain, right? Instead, you modulize it that way. That is you awesome. have all these different pieces, right? So you're building one thing once, and you can Building stick it, once, it oh. multiple uses. You just take it off your table, put it on your display board, and take it to a tournament. All right. So when you do that, I want to see pictures right? of that as well oh, yeah. for everybody I'll else. Post some pictures because that's two birds with one stone, and yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves Molly. Everybody wants to put everything at the best quality, right? But that quality takes time. Exactly. So instead of splitting up your effort efforts into a display board versus terrain, right? You can just kind of Cross-functionalize yeah. that stuff. And for those people that might not know what like a display board means, like typically you'll see it most of the commonly at a tournament setting. Mm -hmm. um, basically, a display board is essentially like a diorama that your army fits on. Exactly. Um, so it's supposed to go with your army, really add to the theme, add to the flow. Sure. Um, one of the other cool parts is that if you look on our Instagram page, and we'll probably post it again on our mm -hmm. Facebook page, and again for everybody to see it after this podcast, is the PTA crew made an amazing display board for Adepticon. Yeah, that thing was awesome. And yeah. the coolest part for me seeing the display board was not only was it absolutely gorgeous, mm -hmm. but it was completely functional. Yeah. And that's really what the key to a display board is. So the display board they made for um, Adepticon was also on a cart. So yep. they could move all four armies that they had for the team tournament from one table to another without taking boxes, bins, anything else. It was one cart and everything looked beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, that big shout out to Sean. He, he put in the majority of the work there yeah. and it, it turned out amazing, right? We even had, you know, add a little bit of flair to it, add LEDs to Ooh, like what okay. we call like a, almost coming out of the warp, right? Because um, there was a Zinch army in there. There's, you know, pretty much every Chaos army um, except for, I believe it was um, Slanesh that wasn't in there. Gotcha. Um, instead, we had Traitor Guard in there. Keep it in PG-13. Um, I got gotcha. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, essentially, you know, you can do a variety of different things there and, and just make sure that, you know, the bases look the same yeah. you know, on your models to display board and, you know, just really give that extra flair to displaying your army at that tournament. And it makes it move around really easy. If you haven't mm -hmm. been to a large tournament like Adepticon or Nova, the LVO, it seems like we get more large tournaments every single year. Even yeah. like the Michigan GT is hoping to get up to 100 people this year. Sure. Um, being able to move your army simple and efficiently is incredibly difficult in a crowded space. Oh, it's huge, yeah. So making sure that your models are displayed very nicely, but also that they're sort of protected yeah. in their display board and that you're easy to move without somebody bumping into you. And, you know, it's an accident, but, you know, we've all seen models that are gorgeous fall and break. Oh, it's terrible. At a tournament. Right. Um, it's heartbreaking to see. Mm -hmm. The display board fixes a lot of that. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. I know the first time I went to Adepticon was actually for... Warhammer Fantasy, yeah. right? I didn't have a display board. Instead, what I had was my big 720 battle form case. So I was playing the big brawl, which was 3,000 okay. points. So every time I would pack up my models, put them in the case, move to the next table, unpack them. You can imagine how big that process is. And it's you have yeah. a limited time to like get food. Oh, yeah. And do other things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Packing that up is a huge amount of time. Yeah. And the other cool part too about like display boards, and I was talking to people, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have a whole probably podcast that's when it's coming closer to like the big tournaments like later this yeah. year, um, going over it. But a lot of people sometimes are hesitant to go to tournaments because you know they might not be bringing the most hardcore list. They, yeah. they don't want to get rolled for five straight games. Um, you know, first of all, it's not gonna happen in most tournaments to begin with, especially not eighth edition where everybody's got a chance. Mm -hmm. But also, if you put a lot of work into your hobby, 
and you're a painter and you do the, a lot of conversions and you build a dynamite display board yeah. and you set that up, people will come by, notice, and the people that talk to you about it are your hobby people. Exactly. You might not have picked them out out of a crowd of 100 yeah. or 200 or, or 500 like the LVO is going to be this year, yep. but man, you've been a beautiful display board, beautifully environment. They will come and find you and you will find like-minded people from all over the country that you get to talk to about the hobby and that's awesome. Exactly. And you know, this goes into a separate discussion, but I know me personally, like I, I, I enjoy the hobby more than the tournament scene. Sure. Right? Um, so going and talking to these, you know, various different players and hobbyists about their display boards was awesome. Right. Yeah. Because you, you'd essentially, you know, obviously if you don't build a competitive list, you're going to get kind of bumped down to the, to the bottom tier. And then you start playing with the, the more like-minded people yep. and you start, you know, having those discussions, having those casual games. And it's awesome. You know, you don't have to be a certainly a power gamer to attend a tournament. For sure. Yeah. And you know, one of the other things that I always talk about too, is if you've got a significant other, when you go around one of these major tournaments, it's almost like walking through an art gallery. Yeah, Definitely. Some people have just done the most incredible work painting and converting and building display boards and models that you look at these things and, you know, knowing that everything usually started as just a gray piece of plastic. It's amazing. It's stunning what people can do. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And then they incorporate all these different things. Like, uh, for instance, Adepticon, the first year I went and I actually saw at Gen Con the same display. They had this chest, right? It was almost like a pirate's chest that they opened up built a ship on and then had all the different GW models. Um, I think it was, I forget the exact army it was, but it was, it was amazing. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, they just took the display board to a whole nother level. Yeah. It was on a cart so they can move it. So they can move it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, it, it was awesome. It's a great thing. Yeah, it's one of those things I encourage beautiful. people to go to, mm -hmm. you know, even if you're in Chicago for Adepticon or in your Virginia for Nova open and you know, you, sure. you don't want to get a ticket, but you know, to play, but you want to go in and check it out, you know, you can spend easily a couple hours walking around looking at armies, and oh, they're yeah. just gorgeous. And people want to talk to you about their display, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't take it there so that nobody, you know, nobody appreciates it. Yes. Right? They want people to appreciate it. They want to check out other people's displays. So, like you said, it's it's very much it's a hobby just as much as it is a game. Exactly. And so. people's armies and their painting, I always kind of joke that it's sort of like fantasy football. Mm -hmm. Like people love talking about their team, their stuff. Oh yeah. So if you've got a question about like, oh my god, how did you get that effect? To work out, oh, yeah. people love talking about oh, how amazing yeah. their work is. <laughs> like yeah, it's awesome. it's great. Yeah, and so you can pick up tips and tricks and a lot of good people. And you know we're in a nice interconnected world right now with like Facebook and Twitter and everything. And so if you meet somebody like that, you can talk with them. And most people are in the hobby are pretty cool. Where if you've got a question about like, hey, how did you do that again? You can message that person, and a lot of times they'll tell you their exact step-by-step -step procedure because yeah. they're super into it. So exactly. definitely recommend coming out, and we'll have some good pictures of some of the best uh, Golden Rhino tournament armies when the next time that we are up here on PTA. Yeah, sounds awesome. Okay, so I think that, that about wraps it up for our uh, you know discussion around you know display boards and kind of yeah. hobby talk update, PTA update. We're going to take a quick break and then move into some of the open work cards with yeah. Chris. Well, if Chris will come back. Hey everybody, this is Josh of Purge As you may know, in addition to our podcast, we also record Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigmar Battle Reports, and we would love to have you on the show. If you would like to come play a game with us, and possibly have you posted to YouTube, please leave a message us on Facebook at Purge or email us at contact at purgealion.com. We hope to see you soon. Now let's go ahead and get back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Mike. And I'm Josh. And with us we have Chris. What's up, guys? 
Chris, thanks for coming in today, doing some double duty time, not only in front of the camera, behind the camera, but also joining us for the podcast, man. Jack of all, master of none. <laughs> so uh, Chris was kind enough to pony up the cash and get the uh, Open War box of cards for us. Uh, so he's been kind of playing a couple games with that. And so kind of, Chris, give us a little bit of a run through about like what the Open War cards do, how they take a part of the game. Just kind of a quick rundown. All right. For like... A player like myself, I hate setup and I hate deploying and I always drag my feet and it's like the longest phase of the game when I play. But with the open war decks, it's one deck and it's composed of five decks that give you the deployment zone, how you're going to play, where player A deploys, where uh, player B deploys, and then your objective. So what is the objective of the mission, obviously. And then the three other ones are a little bit um, more fun and add uh, different elements to the game like the twist card, uh, the ruse card, and the sudden death card. So okay. with those elements, you know, it's there's thousands and thousands of different combinations of games you can play with the different combinations of cards. Cool. And so like this, the open war game is based completely off power level, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, you could, you know, do a match play game, but it would be a lot of uh, adding up points and it kind of takes away from the easy setup and get a game going real fast that I think these are designed for. Okay, cool. So one of like the big things that I noticed was like, you know, the deployment's great for a quick setup, quick objectives are great, but the twist cards is really where the game started to change a little bit. So like we're talking about like a typical twist card that you would see and like what we're going to see played in the, if you pull one of these things. All right, I'm going to pick a random one right here. Okay. Twist card. Orbital Debris. Spawned by the death of some void-born warship or station, blazing wreckage streaks down from on the high to detonate indiscriminately across the battlefield. Each player rolls three dice at the start of their turn. For each roll of a six, they may pick a separate enemy unit and inflict D3 mortal wounds upon it. So, okay. it's, it's a twist, it's, <laughs> you know? It's, you're not going to get that in your tournament game. No. And, you know, it can swing the game in your favor or decimate you. So. And both sides get the twist card, right? It, yep. Okay. So, everyone's playing by the same rule. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, to me, the, I mean, it seems like the twist adds the theme to the, to the actual battle, right? I mean, you're, for example, the one I have in front of me is Warp Storm. So add one to all psychic tests and deny the witch test. So really, it starts to become a psychic battle at that yeah. point, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot of them. I mean, there's mm -hmm. even one that like it limits your psychic power, so it's only twelve inches. Sure. So like your maledictions and everything are going off on twelve instead of twenty-four. Mm -hmm. um, completely changes the way the army gets built. Yeah, exactly. Like or you know, not even how it gets built, but like if you didn't take any psychics, oh, well, you know, like because you're essentially going to draw these cards, you're going to come with your army already, right? And yeah. Then, and yeah, then play the know. game. Yeah, so yeah. you have no idea. It's a twist, man. See? <laughs> so that's the ones that like everyone has to play a part yeah. with. Uh, but Chris, you were talking to us earlier about like this ruse card and the sudden death, and only like one side gets these, right? It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, the ruse card is for anyone who has the lower power level. So if you had one power level more than me, I would get this special card okay. that I get to use. And, and you do you randomly draw it or do you get to pick? Yeah, you shuffle up your deck and then pull it. So you cool. can't cherry pick them. Okay. That would yeah. be probably pretty uh, fatal for your opponent. Um, but here's an example of a ruse card. This one's called Outflank. Sweeping around the enemy's flank, your warriors surge into battle from an unexpected quarter and catch the foe off guard. Play this card after deployment is complete, but before the first round, the first battle round. 
Pick one of your units and remove it from the battlefield. You must set it up again at the end of either your first or second movement phase, more than nine inches away from the enemy, and so that the unit is wholly within nine inches of the battlefield edge. So huh. one of your guys gets the outflank rule, you know. Okay, so from like awesome. bringing it back to seventh edition a little bit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it adds. It's like a game within a game, you know. It sure. adds For more sure. mechanics to, um, you know. A simple objective scenario. Yeah, so that's if we only have like a couple bit of power levels different. Correct. But there's like the sudden death card you said was something insane where if you've got like twice as much. Yeah, like if I'm going up against you and I have 50 power level, you have 100, I get to pull from the sudden death card. Okay. And this right. is um, the end game card. If you, you know, achieve this objective, you win the game. Sure. And oh, okay. Here's uh, an example for a sudden death card. Vital ground. No matter the cost, the enemy must draw, be drawn away from the heart of the battlefield. Only by denying them this crucial strategic site can you prevail. Starting from the third battle round, play this card at the end of your turn. If there are no enemy units within nine inches of the center of the battlefield, you win immediately. And I have to double check, but I'm pretty sure you don't reveal these cards to your opponent. Oh, nice. And so, you know, you you move all your guys away from the center battlefield and boom, I play Vital Ground and I win the game. Okay. That's awesome. Which which is fair if I'm going against double my power you know, level. Exactly. Sure. So sure. I can definitely see that. And I mean like, you know, I think the sudden death card is gonna be one that you're not gonna see too often. Mainly mm. just because mm. like very few are you going to want to have a time where like you have double power level difference um, for that part you know it's possible that Mm -hmm. it could happen but you know I think the other cards like with the ruse that you can get just if there's a slight power level difference can help make up that gap exactly power level yeah, that's awesome. Otherwise, you'll probably just be playing off the objective cards most of the time. Right? Yeah, yeah so. you, you use the main three, the deployment, the objective, and yeah. you, the twist. The twist. The twist of the ruse. You know, I think that there's two things, too, which I think these cards are a brilliant idea by GW. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's they're, they're I, cool. I love this style of play. Like, I'm not a big tournament player. I went yeah. to the GT Primer and yeah. got spanked and <laughs> cried all night. Uh, so this is, like, what I like. It's more for narrative. It's, yeah. you know, I'm a themey, fluffy, yeah. no player, and uh, this spices up the game for me a lot. So Definitely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I also think that, you know, let's face it, Warhammer 40k is, you know, a bit of a, a money pull for, like, a hobby, as far as mm-hmm. it's concerned. You know, there's a lot of money that goes into it from buying the miniatures, terrain, a lot of other stuff goes into it to kind of make the hobby. It can get a little bit expensive. We know not everybody has the same like resources to it. What I think the open war cards does is I think it's actually the best way to have the most fun and most cost efficient because if you're a person out there and you've only got one army, mm-hmm. and let's say your army totals up to like 1,500 points or you know 100 power level or whatever it's going to be, chances are you're only ever going to be playing those units. Yeah. So if you have a friend or a group that you're playing against, you kind of always know the way your army is going to play because exactly. you, you don't have enough units to make like different lists to play a different army. If you just pay for these cards, which were how much, by the way? 15 bucks. Oh, 15 yeah, bucks. that's cheap, yeah. 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 Not bad. 15 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now you can play your one friend, and if you guys just have the exact same two armies every single time, based on the deployment, based on the twists that they're throwing out there, and then based on the potential ruses that you can pull, you're going to play a completely different game every every single time. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And that, to me, is 
amazing, it's especially right. if you've got like a limited funds to spend and you can't afford to have like five armies and you know four thousand points of each army and be customizing everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of it, and I'm excited to play more with it. And um, yeah, there's not much else to say about them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so the one thing I like too is that you know they have the new deployment zones in it. Mm-hmm. So like I know Chris has the uh, oh, I forget what it's called. It just says deployment on the card. Yeah. But I know it's the you know the one where you almost have two triangles. Spearhead. Right? Yeah, spearhead, spearhead assault. Yeah. yeah, spearhead assault. Right. So you now you have all these various different deployment zones, and you're not just doing dawn of war all the time, right? Exactly. Or whatever it is, right. And like you said, there's thousands of different combinations available with these. Yeah, exactly. So. And you know, you won't see these in like a tournament or a match play game or yeah. something like that. But you know, when you're playing your local group and things are starting to get like a little bit stale and yep. you got the same guys playing the same armies over again, this is definitely something that can spice up any type of game. And you know, we talked about the sudden deaths and like, you know, Josh kind of kicked me under the table when I said it, but I was like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a great way to kind of play a disadvantaged game. You know, agree to play like, 100 power level versus 50 or 200 versus 100 you get the sudden death card and you don't know what it takes for the other person to win the game or you know you could even you know change the rules a bit i draw sudden death card you draw sudden death card yeah there you go you know it could be a real short game but i mean that's an awesome idea that's actually brilliant Uh, (laughs) and i'm not gonna lie like gw gave a framework for how these work but what chris just said is probably exactly the way they wanted it yeah. It's just some set rules where, like, cool, we both even have 100 power level. Mm-hmm. Let's each draw a sudden death card, flip it over, and then you have to stop me from doing this the whole game while I'm trying to do this the whole game. Exactly. Like, and it's something that seems like you could look through all the decks and make your own uh, mission. Like, yeah. with the, you know, add this one and this one with this deployment. Each, this person has this ruse, and you can, you know, build your own missions with these. Yeah, because yeah, it seems like there's, what, like 15, 20 cards in each type of deck? Yeah, um... Well, obviously the deployment one is the small five or six or okay. something like that. Well, it looked like there was a bunch. Twelve objective cards, twelve deployment cards, twelve twist cards, six sudden death cards, six ruse cards. Okay. Yeah. So. So you know that's kind of a cool thing too. So you've got a lot of different ideas for like how you're going to deploy, what the mm-hmm. objectives are, and stuff like that. So you can definitely expand your games and the way you're able to play it a little bit more. Exactly. Especially with like how it's spam hammer right now and we're playing uh, yes. out of the indexes. Uh, you know, this is something that can, you know, if you're playing against, you know, the Titan armies or yeah. or the, you know, Imperial Knight armies, this is something that could change the game dramatically for you. And yeah. I think also too, like you said, it handles those spam lists perfectly. Um, you know, so I, I highly recommend if you're playing in a narrative campaign, um, especially if you're doing just some casual games, you know, take a look at some of these. Like, talk to your local, friendly local game store, mm-hmm. ask if they've got a deck. You know, maybe they'll be willing to open one up, um, you know, kind of make it the store copy to let you try it out yeah, a little definitely. bit. Um, you know, I'm sure that a lot of places would be more than happy to do that. And that way you can kind of see what we're talking about with these cards and really see how they're going to affect you. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest benefits I see for myself um, that we haven't discussed yet is the amount of time it takes to you know simply look up the rules for these. I mean, each each card has a rule on yeah. or the objective on the actual card itself, rather than flipping between the different pages to look at the deployment zone mm-hmm. versus looking at you know the actual objectives versus looking at the maelstrom cards or whatever it is, right? You have everything you need to do on what the five, six cards in front of you, right? Right, and it it just makes it a lot easier to simply reference. I, I completely agree, and mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, for a lot of people, if you go to tournaments, you're gonna probably get like a mission pack, 
And a lot yeah. of people hang on to those mission packs because some of the book missions are a, a, a touch dull. Yeah. And so people Certainly. want the different ideas for this. And so when you combine these objective cards with everything, it creates essentially a, a tournament-type mission sure. that you can add directly to your game without any additional effort from you to think about it or make it balanced or anything. Like It's just already given to you. Done. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool way. So we talked about a lot of the pros of these cards. I mean, I think we can all agree they're pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 15 bucks, I don't see, like, you know, yeah, exactly. why you wouldn't do it. If you're, you know, if you're sitting there, you know, and you've got, like, a 1,500, 1,500-point list, and, you know, you're not going to be jumping up, like, a lot really quickly, yeah. but you've got 15 bucks, you know, don't go to Starbucks for, like, three or four days in a row. And <laughs> one day. Yeah, one, one day, one day you got a bad day. habit. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. go in and get some of this stuff, um, and then you're going to be able to get a lot more variety and, and bang out of the models that you already have. Exactly. But you're saying something about some cons? Yeah, no, yeah. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to see any cons with this. You know, it just adds more variety. Um, are there any cons you see, Chris? I would say that it is focused for power level, and as the system is right now, power level's a little screwed or screwed or however you say it. Yeah. Um, and I like match play. I like adding up my points, mm -hmm. and it's not it's easily adaptable to that. To that, yeah. but. Um, that would be my only downside is that okay sure it's no, a little more that. work yeah, yeah i mean if you're playing match play you know you might want to limit yourself to like the objective and the deployment card mm -hmm. um i think even like the twist card could go into play to kind of mix up the match play yeah, games definitely. a little bit mm -hmm. um you know i definitely see that i definitely think that um depending on the list that people are bringing to you know you always kind of want to be careful about something because if you pull like a specific ruse card yeah. and you're different then you might be able to like invalidate someone's army um, yeah. Completely. Yeah. So there's some there's some different options, or you know they are pretty blanket. Um, you know, like you can have three of your units set up like in ambush, mm -hmm. and so they come in like within 12 inches of any model as one of the cards. Yeah. Um, and it's just units. It doesn't say like infantry or anything. So exactly. there's really nothing stopping you from just dropping mm -hmm. in. You know, like a titan right there. Yeah. yeah. Done. Um, oh man, how and, was that titan hiding? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like it's so it's there's some yeah. weird stuff like that in there, and also a lot of the issues is like so. Just keep reading the ambush card because I think it's one of the crazier cards that's on there. Um, you know, it talks about like basically like you can set it up before the battle begins. So if you know you're going first, you can set up three units within 12 inches. There's no restriction on moving or charging the first turn. Oh, yeah. So you can set up three assault units within 12 inches, move your full distance, which if it's an assault unit, is probably going to be anywhere from six to like 10 to even more inches. Yeah. You're gonna guarantee get a first charge, um, so these games could potentially become more one-sided depending on what cards you draw for the specific army. Yeah, um, and that that would be like a con that I would see is that you know you might want to pull them and or like pick a couple ones that you think would like work best. Um, sure. But I think for the twist, the objective, and the deployment, I think they work well for everything because they don't yeah. specifically affect one unit. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, um, for example, like the one I have in front of me, Warp Storm. Right? Yeah. Obviously, that's only going to affect Psychers. You can kind of have that conversation ahead of time. Be like, hey, we're going to pull the Warp Storm card. Neither one of us have Psychers. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Or you have seven Psychers, I have one. You know, like, let's at least try to balance it out a little bit. You yep. know, that's always a conversation you can have. And, you know, one house rule that we have is, is which is kind of related, is... You know, when you draw your secure objective or, you know, the objective cards when yeah. you play monster missions, right? If it's completely impossible to do, then you discard it, right? Yep. So something similar to these cards could be applied, right? So if something, you know, is completely non-applicable, redraw it or something like sure. that. Sure, yeah. So. Or you could even do, I mean, looking at these, the first thing I thought of was basically, you know, each player gets sort of like a veto. 
So if you draw, you know, the twist, like, you know, if you both are like, yeah, cool, that works, you play it. If you're like, obviously, this is going to destroy my army, veto, and then you draw the next one, and then hopefully it's good or better for you, (laughs) but... You know, you're kind of stuck at that point. But, like, there, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. But yeah. for 15 bucks, you've never really seen this type of diversity for a game. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, they come in a beautiful, like, card-carrying pack, just like the Maelstrom Objections and stuff like that. So it's something very easy to take and portable. Um, and it's really kind of an awesome tool. Yeah, I completely agree. Any final thoughts, Chris? Um, it was good investment, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They're they're awesome. So we're gonna look forward to, to playing some games against you with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get it going. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely exactly. have to get one going for here real quick. But uh, cool, Chris. Thanks for swinging by, doing triple duty again on everything today. And uh, what I do. <laughs> everybody, look forward to seeing Chris uh, on probably some upcoming battle reports that we got. Yeah, we'll probably throw these cards in on battle rep. What do you say? Chris? Oh, we gotta do a battle rep for uh, with Open War. For nice, sure. nice. Love Sounds it. great. All right, guys, uh, so we're going to take another quick break, and yep. we'll come back uh, with some more content around uh, the, uh, the main topic of hobby products. Cool. Thanks. Hey, guys, this is Josh again. On behalf of everyone at Pergillion, we just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcasts, watching our battle reports, and reading our articles. We're here for you, producing content by gamers for gamers. So thanks again for joining us, and we're happy you're here. Now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm still Mike. And I'm still Josh. And so what we really want to talk about in this section was um, some of the hobby products that are out there. um, Ways to kind of just make your wargaming experience better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, last week we kind of talked about this section about the importance of terrain. Some different places that you can buy terrain, make terrain, some basic options. And now we kind of want to spread it out to a little bit more broad and just kind of how to get the most out of your wargaming experience. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to kind of have a focus on like how to speed up the games, kind of some yep. tools that you can use in game to help make a better gaming experience. Sure. So, so one of like the big ones um, that we talk about a lot is a way to speed up the game. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of this at PTA because some of our battle reports go for quite a bit of time. Uh, Four hours is long? I think is that, that's, what, I think is that what you're saying? Bit. Um, you know, every single game should well be within like a two and a half hour time constraint. Um, yeah, definitely. If you go to a tournament, you should be able to do that. Um, eighth edition is great because I've yet to finish a tournament game like without time being an issue. Um, yeah. If it has been, it's usually been like a mutual agreed upon thing. Like we got through five turns. Like, do we want to start the sixth one? Because exactly. we have like 15 minutes left. Yep. Um, something along those lines. So there's like a couple of really basic and easy ways speeds up the games. Um, I think the first one too that we're struggling with a little bit at PTA because we're trying to get you guys like a wide diversity of content is to, for right now, kind of play your army mm-hmm. and just play your one army over and over again. Um, so that you become sort of a master of what your army is capable of doing. <laughs> yeah. knowing, knowing the rules, right, is probably you know, the biggest number one. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And so a couple of ways that we've been trying to shortcut that yes. right, is bookmarks in our, in our books. Yes. And that's, that's huge, right? Because I know one thing that we've been doing is I have my book in, right in front of me, actually, with yeah. probably about 20 different sticky notes in it with up at the top uh, the actual army or yeah. the, the unit I should say so Bulgrins have a sticky note Valkyrie has a sticky note that way I don't have to remember the page number I can just snag it flip to my little bookmark look up the rules and then continue on with the game exactly like you know if you've got a bunch of different vehicles and they range from toughness 6 to 8 mm-hmm. um, there's two things that can happen one you might forget 
Yep. Even if you're playing your list all the time and you know, your opponent might have a question. And it is just polite wargaming that if your friends, like, really, that's T8, that mm-hmm. you should be able to show them yep. to go through it. So just because you know your army in your head of time, every time that they go, oh, wait, that's T8, and you go, yes, and they go, oh, can I see that? And then you have to pull out your book, flip, find the page in a giant index to find it. Exactly. It adds up over the course of the game. So having your bookmarks for what army list you're playing that day mm-hmm. speeds up the game so rapidly, and it also helps your opponent because they can go to the pages themselves, and you can just hand them your book and say, like, here's my army list, here's what I'm playing. They can read through that while you're deploying, while you're moving, while you're figuring out like a strategy, running the bathroom, whatever. Exactly. Just makes things quicker. Exactly. And you know, you could really do the same thing for the core rule book, right? If you know there's always questions on when your unit fires, you know, indirectly or whatever it is, right? Have that page referenced within the core rule book. Know where it's at, put a sticky note on it. And then, you know, if you know it's a common question that comes up when you play a tournament or wherever, sticky note it, pull it open. Show, the, show your opponent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticky notes as well, you know, in terms of like what mission you're playing. Um, yep. You know, if you're using those beautiful open war missions that we just talked about, you know, basically keeping the cards out on the table for everybody to be able to see and grab. Yep. Um, any other like little shortcut that GW offers you is great. So if you don't own a copy of Mailstorm mission cards yet, please buy them. I say this as a competitive tournament player oh, because yeah. people that take the time to roll dice and go, this is my tens digit. This is my ones digit. Let me consult oh my, my book. Read what it is. Yeah. And then you have to like remember which one it is. Yeah. That's a pain in the butt. And it takes a long time. And over the course of a whole game, if you're not discarding cards, unless somebody's writing stuff down, you might not remember it very well. And so it leads to confusion. It leads to time. Exactly. Please get a deck. Please just shuffle your deck, pull a card, put it right in front of you. Boom. Yeah, those Done are simple. huge, right? Anytime you add dice rolls to the game, they add time. Yes. Right? There's a reason why 8th edition, there's no templates anymore. Right? Exactly. They add dice rolls to the game, they add time. So the decks do exactly that. They reduce the amount of time. You have the deck prepared in front of you. It's mm-hmm. shuffled already. They're already randomized. Make sure you ask your opponent to cut your deck as a courtesy. Exactly. And then you're ready to go. No Space Marine data cards that are going to be out that have all the psychic powers in them. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff. If you have it on hand, it saves time. I know it seems like we nitpick a lot of this stuff, but like when you're playing a game, it really starts to add a lot of time when you're constantly referring to different options. Exactly. And also, if you're ever playing in a tournament, like it's the easiest way to get timed out is if you're playing an opponent that doesn't know what their army does. Yep. Um, exactly. We've all, every tournament player has had this happen before. Doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, like you've seen this happen. And it just leads to a frustrating game experience when like that game starts to draw out to a really long period of time. Exactly. Exactly. So a couple other things that help. I know we talked a little bit about templates ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, we had some awesome templates made for us by a company called Dyconomy. Yes. And what they do is essentially they make templates, obviously, for, for Warhammer and other game systems where you have these templates that you can put on the table in front of your units or, or by your units to say what position they're in. So for example, if I advance, I can't shoot or charge that yep. turn, right? So I have a, a token for advance, and I just put it by those guys, right? It's a quick mental note, um, you know, or physical note saying what I can and cannot do. And uh, so dichotomy <laughs> is spelled D-I-E also, like die, yep. like a piece of uh, dice. Um, the other thing too, like what they'll make is they do very custom templates as well, so you can get mm-hmm. any type of writing on them. They look gorgeous. You'll see yep, them in some definitely. of our battle reports that we have coming up because we just got our order in from them. 
Um, as a Tyranid player, one of the best ones to be able to have is all of your psychic powers. Mm-hmm. So Tyranid psychic powers, for example, affect your units and the enemy units. Yep. So, for example, if I'm casting the most common Tyranid power, which is Catalyst, essentially gives you mm-hmm. the five up feel no pain in eighth edition. I cast that power. I pick somebody to apply it to. Over the course of the game, your opponent can forget which one it was. Oh, yeah. I know. I would forget, right? You'd forget yeah. what it was. <laughs> if you're playing people, they forget what it is because it lasts a whole turn. Sure. And then also, like, it can lead to some shady things because if somebody remembers you saying it wrong, or if you go, I pointed on this unit and you point, oh my gosh, and you got, yeah. like, three units bunched up, it can lead to some bad feelings if you have it. So you can get a catalyst, you know, like, template, like, marker mm-hmm. that you can get from these guys, and you just put it right next to the unit. So that way you know that unit's got it. It moves with them. And you can also put, like, the Horror, which is minus one to shoot. I can stick that right over there on your Lehman Rust tank. I know that it's Horror. You know what it is, so you don't have to, like, roll and then think about it and then everything else. Then there's no excuses for not remembering or saying, oh, hey, I forgot, you know. Yes. And or being like, hey, I thought I was on this unit, not this unit. I mean, it just simplifies things. Because so we've, we've all played the game where, especially in a friendly game, or if you're playing a very friendly tournament game, mm-hmm. where someone's had like a minus one to hit roll for whatever reason, yeah. and they've rolled and they went to, and they rolled the woos, and then someone's like, oh my god, I forgot, you got minus one to hit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, hold on, let me redo that whole thing over again. Exactly. And then oh they re roll the hits. Yeah. And then it's like, those are rolls that add up towards the time of your game. Yeah. Or it could be, Hey, I was shooting your flyer. I was at three up to hit, four up shooting your flyer. With the whore, I'm five up shooting your flyer. So maybe I'm going to pick a different target instead of the flyer to shoot with that tank. Exactly. So instead of just re rolling dice, you're now remaking decisions, mm-hmm. which adds up to the time of the game as well. Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge. And of course, there's always going to be things to, that you forget or, mm-hmm. or that you have to redo, but it helps to mitigate, mitigate that, that risk, right? Yeah. So. Um, another thing that, that we kind of add to our list here is, is dice, sure. right? So, um, you know, obviously with 8th edition, there's a ton more wounds. With so AOS, many. there's a lot of wounds, yeah. right? How can you keep track of 20 wounds on a 6-sided die? Yeah. Well, get a 20-sided get a die. Right? Sure. Um, so there's, there's wound trackers um, that GW sells. Yep. Actually, those are a little bit hard to read. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So I, I would almost go with Chessex or another company mm-hmm. that makes D20s and just simply buy those. They're easy to read from across the table. Um, you know, you can get them color themed for your army or yes, whatever you, you want to do. And I would yeah. even say, you know, Josh brings up a great point with like D20s. For a lot of the units that are out there, 12 wounds seems to be like a cap. Um, I think GW did that on purpose because they're still playing with a D6 system, so it's like two sure. D6 dice. Mm-hmm. But there's also a D12 dice that's extremely easy to read. Yeah. Um, and you know you can pick these dice out specifically. And if you go to your friendly local game store, chances are you've seen bulk dice bins, and they've got oh, yeah. 12 sided dice, 20 sided dice. They're probably like 50 cents or a dollar. Every color you can think of. You can get a bunch to match yeah. your army, and it just makes sense because every game where somebody uses d6 dice as their markers Mm -hmm. eventually get picked up or moved at some point because we roll dice dice go everywhere if you're not using a dice box and get very very confusing as well i know we've definitely done that before picked up some d6 die and threw them in the dice box i'm like oh that guy had wounds what happens and that's why you know you always put the the d20 on the base of the model too and exactly certainly helps and it's preventing also having like a once again it's preventing having a bad experience yeah like if you're playing with somebody for the first time and you're using D6 and you accidentally pick one up and your opponent thinks that it had already taken, you know, nine wounds yeah. and you think it took seven 
and you're now trying to figure out what dice to put back that you picked up, that's a bad experience. Exactly. Especially if they put a bunch of fire and ends up living with like a wound. Yeah. Like you're in for a bad time. So, like, from the beginning, for wound counters and everything, get different sided dice than what you're going to use, because mm-hmm. you're never going to be throwing a D12 or D20. Exactly. And then also, have an open conversation with your opponent about whether you count up or down from wounds. Oh, that's huge. The moment yeah. that you take a wound on a vehicle or on a monstrous creature. Yep. Say, hey, I count down, what do you do? You know? Yeah. I count up, okay, well, now we know moving forward. Exactly. Right. Everybody's different. It's like, which side of the toilet paper do you do? Do you roll over <laughs> or do you roll under? You know? <laughs> If you roll under, you're a demon. I'm joking. (laughs) So it's a pretty easy thing to be able to take care of. Certainly. Yeah, I know those are kind of the big things. I mean, honestly, this all boils down to how do I make the information that I have for the game readable to both myself and to my opponent, right? So any way you can simplify that process makes the game go smoother, makes it go quicker, and it avoids that miscommunication, which leads to misunderstandings, which in turn could you know, go into something larger if, if perhaps somebody, yeah. you know, you're thinking two different ways, right? And, you know, like I said, it avoids that bad feeling, you know, especially yep. when you might not know the person if you're at a tournament. Definitely. But also, if you're playing casually, you know, if we're playing a game and it takes us four hours and it's going to take two, mm-hmm. instead of playing two games that night, you're playing one. Exactly. And every single person out there, no matter who you are, wants to get more games in. Yep, yep. <laughs> so when you think about it, yeah, you might only be saving like, you know, half an hour here or there. Maybe you won't be cutting your game time in half. But like that time adds up that you can play to be doing other things throughout the course of the day. Oh, it definitely kind of does. Peace. Yeah, you can certainly be painting during that time or, you know, preparing another army list or yeah, <laughs> whatever sure. it is. I right? mean, maybe spending time with family. Like, you know, don't oh, have yeah. to. Do I, I guess that too. Warhammer comes first. <laughs> like, let's be completely honest here. But, you know, that's just one of the things that you can do. Um, and the other thing too that I always like to go about, and this is like my own private thing, and I think Josh disagrees with me on it. So we'll say each side of it. Sure, sure. Um, I also like strongly encourage everybody usually to get the electronic copies of everything. Yeah. Okay. I know Josh and previously Ian have disagreed with me a little bit on this. It's only because I'm cheap. I love the electronic copies. Yeah. Control F. You can find anything. It's yes. amazing. Right. I, I do like the physical copy. I always want the physical copy. But yeah. The electronic is just so easy and portable. Right? Yeah. You can do the bookmarks easy on the electronic. Yeah. You can also store anything. So basically, mm-hmm. like you know, if you've got an electronic copy, you can save the most recent GWFAQ on it. Yeah, which is awesome. I can save my, you know, Imperium book on there, and I can save my Imperium book two on there, yeah. and I can save my rule book on there. So I have it all in like one spot. I don't have to be hauling around my books. I don't have to be hauling all this stuff around. Sure. You could bookmark pages. Um, one thing I've even done when going to a big tournament. So I played at the exact same GT Primer that Chris played at, um, and so one of the things that I knew to get my games quicker is I took a screenshot of every single one of my rules from the book that I downloaded. Yeah. And I literally made an album titled Michigan or GT Primer List. Mm-hmm. And so when I went hunted over to my opponent, I was like, boom, here's all eight units that I'm running and here's their weapon page with all the details. Oh, yeah, you, you consolidated the book, essentially. Exactly, and you can mm-hmm. do that with an electronic copy where you can't do that with a paper copy. And then yeah. it's like, cool, here, I'm giving you my army list, but I'm also giving you this. And exactly. I usually just hand them my iPad because oh, I know amazing. how my army yeah. plays mm-hmm. and they can just go back and forth. And so if I'm trying to figure out where to shoot, they can pick it up and tr- start thinking about their turn and being like, all right, that thing's got toughness eight, that thing's got toughness five. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to like start shooting this other stuff. And like, it made the game go quicker. Um, and I finished all three games and never ran out of time by even close. That's um, awesome. Compare that to seventh edition where 
at a major tournament, you might be lucky to finish one game. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It, not only that, but it's a big courtesy thing, right? I mean, yeah. you know your army. You want to make sure that it's a fair game. You don't want to win just because they don't know what's going on. Exactly. Right? You want them to know exactly what's going on. And, you know, if you're using the physical version, you know, one thing that you should do is, you know, I'm sure you saved the FAQs that just came out. Yep. Save them as a PDF. Save it to your iPad or whatever you use. I'm going to probably print out the FAQs. Sure. Right? I'm going to print them out, put them at the end of my book, either put them in a binder or something, always have them with me. Yeah. Right? That way, if I don't have internet, you know, I, I, I can quickly reference them and look them up. Yeah. And so, I always recommend to everybody, like, try to print out all the FAQs, mm -hmm. not just your list. Because if you've read the FAQ, as we talked about in the previous podcast, where it talks about the new flyer rule, where you have to have boots on the ground, yeah. or flyers consider yourself as being tabled. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um... If your opponent hasn't read that yet, or for some reason you know hasn't seen that, and you go to show it and they don't believe you, well now you got to dig up your phone, you got to dig up something that has internet service, try to download yeah. them, find somebody else, print them out. Like it's just a hassle, and for something that could be really simply solved if you just have them printed out or saved on a tablet. Yeah, I can't count the number of times I've been at a game store and I, I don't have internet service. Right, a lot of these gaming tables are in the basement, yeah. or you're at, at a public place wi-fi friendly local game stores wi-fi yeah exactly <laughs> so i mean yeah just having all of it downloadable or referenced offline is is huge yep. as well so and like one of the last things is uh you know the golden rhino just wrapped up you know as we talked about um the michigan gt is coming up nova's coming up mm -hmm. um one of the things that just for tournament players out there that are listening that i always like to strongly encourage people is that once the tournament tables get posted Make your way over to your tournament table. Um, yeah. Do not be that guy where if the second round is starting at 2.30 in the afternoon, that you walk in at like 2.28 and like try to figure out where everything's going because you will waste your time moving stuff, just talking to the person, exchanging sure. lists. Um, some tournaments are very strict about when the dice can officially start to roll mm -hmm. or when you officially start doing stuff, but get there as soon as you can Definitely. Talk to the person, offer to buy them a drink, take a look at their list, get through any questions, and that way that usual two and a half hour time spot is used to actually play the game yeah. instead of doing bookkeeping or anything else that you have to go through and do. Yeah, definitely. So I know we're, we're kind of moving away from the topic of, you know, it's uh, all hobby time. tools and stuff it's like that. It's all time. But we, we just love to save time. You, you know? got it, to. It's great. You know, there, there's a ton of tools out there. I'm sure there's a, a ton that we've missed. You know, use the system that works best for you. I like physical copies. Yep. Mike likes electronic copies, you know, do what works best for you, but just optimize it. And let us know too. Like we talked about, you know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can email us, you can comment on the website, you can do mm -hmm. anything. Um, let us know what you guys think. If you've got something that we haven't talked about before, definitely. Um, we would not only love to hear it, to talk about it, to share it with other people, but we'd love to use it ourselves. Oh yeah, so, I'm always looking for ways to optimize. Right? Exactly. So. so shoot us out, shoot us a message, let us know. Um, otherwise, you know, thank you very much for listening again, and we're Purge the Alien. Yeah, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And shout out again to Chris for thank out for coming out. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> All right, guys, have a have a good one. All right, bye. This episode of Perch the Island was recorded on July 23rd, 2017. All rights for this episode and its content are reserved by the Creative Commons license. Instrumental music, sound effects, and the episode were produced by Perch the Island.